0: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of the Drunken Storytellers podcast. Uh, Yeah, we've made it to 30 episodes, and you'll notice I've just decided to ignore the intro this time because it's getting annoying and it doesn't really say what this podcast is about anymore. Yeah, that will be disappearing and changing. Yeah, it's the end of the year, it's currently 29th of December, and so we've got New Year's Eve happening in a couple of days also means that I've been going for a full year on this now, um, which I think is quite impressive. I've got, this is episode 30, I've got two bonus episodes out as well, one on uh, the Easter Bunny and whether that's a hermaphrodite, and then we've got the actual play of Vessin with some real folklore people as well, so that's kind of cool. This is going to be the last episode of what I'm kind of saying is season one of this, um, I'm going to take a few I'm going to take um, some most probably most of January off I think while I sort out my life and uh, things so yeah, there, there'll, there'll be a little bit of a break between this episode and the next one and then the new episodes will I don't know, have a new format? I don't know, we'll see what happens but um, as I said a couple of episodes ago, things will change in the way that the podcast is happening um, so yeah, that's kind of where that is at With that, um, so yeah, we're at, let's say, 30 episodes in, and I've had, it's been an alright kind of year for this, I suppose. Uh, We've had 870-ish downloads on the 32 episodes, I suppose you can call it. It's about 30 downloads per episode, so it's not too bad for someone who doesn't really do anything on social media. (laughs) So, it would be nice to get that number up, I I would like to hit maybe 50, 60. Downloads per episode, but well, that would involve me actually taking a part in that social media thing. Keeping with the theme of what I have been doing uh, in the podcast, this is episode 30, so it is one of the tens. Therefore, we are going to delve back into my favourite folklore book. We've done a load of uh, kind of spooky stuff recently, some ghost stories and, and darker. Um, folklore, but this one we're going to go back into the Mabinogion. So yeah, um, this is the third portion of the Uh yeah. um, this is Widin, the son of Lear. And we are reading again from the Lady Charlotte Grey version from Sacred Texts. I will read it and then I may spew some thoughts upon it afterwards, I may not, depends how I feel at the end of the reading. Again, apologies to all of you Welsh people, if there are any Welsh people out there who are listening, or anybody who understands and speaks Welsh. I'm going to butcher the names, because I don't speak Welsh. I'm not very bad at that. So, let us begin. Sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the tale. Manawidden, the son of Lear. When the seven men, of whom we spoke above, had buried the head of Bendigred Rang in the White Mount in London, with its face towards France, Manawyddan gazed upon the town of London, and upon his companions, and heaved a great sigh. Much grief and heaviness came upon him. Alas, almighty heaven, woe is me! he exclaimed. There is none save myself without a resting place this night. Lord! Said Pryderi, Be not so sorrowful, thy cousin is king of the island of the Mighty, and though he should do thee wrong, thou hast never been a claimant of land or possessions. Thou art is thy third disinherited prince. Yea, answered he, but although this man is my cousin, it grieveth me to see any one in the place of my brother, Brendigrid Van, neither can I be happy in the same dwelling with him. Wilt thou follow the counsel of another? said Prideri. I stand in need of counsel, he answered. And what may that counsel be? Seven cantreves remain unto me, said Pryderi, wherein Rhiannon, my mother dwells. I bestow her upon thee, and the seven Cantrefs with her. And though thou hast no possessions but those Cantrefs only, thou couldst not have seven Cantrefs fairer than they. Kisva, the daughter of Gwyn Gloich, is my wife. And since the inheritance of the Cantoros belongs to me, do thou Rhianon, do thou, and Rhiannon enjoy them? And if thou ever desire any possessions, thou wilt take these." I do not, chieftain, said he. Heaven reward thee for thy friendship. I should show thee the best friendship in the world, if thou wouldst let me. I will, my friend, said he. And Heaven reward thee. I will go with thee to see Rhiannon and look at thy possessions. Thou will do well, he answered, and I believe that thou didst never hear a lady discourse better than she, and when she was in her prime, none was ever fairer, even now her aspect is not uncommonly. They set forth, and however long the journey they came at length to Divid, and a feast was prepared for them amongst, against their coming to Narbeth, which Rhiannon and Kisfa had provided. Then began Manawiden and Rhiannon to sit and talk together, and from their discourse his mind and his thoughts became warmed towards hers, and he thought in his heart he had never beheld any lady more fulfilled of grace and beauty than she. "'Pryderi,' said he, "'I will that it be as thou didst say.' "'What saying was that?' asked Rhiannon. "'Lady,' said Pryderi, "'I did offer thee as a wife to Manahwiden, the son of Leir." By that will I gladly abide, said Rhiannon. Right, glad am I also, said Manawiddin. May heaven reward him who hath shown unto me friendship so perfect as this. And before the feast was over, she became his bride. Said Pryderi, tarry ye here the rest of the feast, and I will go unto Lyokir to tender my homage, unto to Kaswallen, the son of Beli. Lord, said Rhiannon, Caswallan is in Kent. Thou mayest therefore tarry at the feast, and wait until he shall be nearer. We will wait, he answered. So they finished the feast, and they began to make the circuit of Divid, and to hunt, and to take their pleasure. And as they went through the country, they had never seen lands more pleasant to live in, nor better hunting grounds, nor greater plenty of honey and fish. And such was the friendship between those four, that they would not be parted from each other by night or by day. And in the midst of all this he went to Caswellen, at Oxford, and tendered his homage, and honourable was his reception there, and highly was he praised for offering his homage. And after his return Pryderi and Manawidin feasted, and took their ease and pleasure, and they began a feast at Narbeth, for it was the chief palace, and there originated all honour. And when they had ended their first meal that night, while those who served them ate, They rose and went forth, and proceeded all forward to the gorset of Narbeth, and their retinue with them. And as they sat thus, beheld a peal of thunder, and the violence of the thunderstorm. Lo, there came a fall of mist, so thick that not one of them could see the other. And after the mist it became light all around. And when they looked towards the place where they were wont to see cattle, and herds, and dwellings, they saw nothing there neither house, nor beast, nor smoke, nor fire, nor man, nor dwelling, but the houses of the court, empty and deserted and uninhabited, without either man or beast within them, and truly all their companions were lost to them, without the narrowing out of what had befallen them, save those four only. In the name of heaven, cried Manah where are they, and the court, and all my host beside these? Let us go see. So they came unto the hall, and there was no man, And they went on to the castle and to the sleeping place, and they saw no one. and in the mead cellar and in the kitchen there was naught but desolation. So they four feasted and hunted and took their pleasure. Then they began to go through the land and all the possessions that they had, and they visited the houses and dwellings and found nothing but wild beasts. And when they had consumed their feast and all their provisions, they fed upon the prey, killed in hunting, and the honey of the wild swarms, and thus they passed the first year pleasantly, and the second, but at last they began to be weary. Verily, said Manawyddan, we must not bide thus. Let us go to Ryogir and seek some craft whereby we may gain our support. So they went to Ryogir and came as far as Hereford and they betook themselves to making saddles. and Manwiden began to make housings, and he gilded and coloured them with blue enamel, in the manner that he would seen it done by Lassar Leskewid. And he made the blue enamel as it was made by the other men, and therefore he still called Kalak Lassar, because Lassar Leskewidid had wore it. And as long as that workmanship could be had of Man neither saddle nor housing was bought of a saddler throughout all Erephid. Till at length every one of the saddlers perceived that they were losing much of their gain, and that no man bought of them but him who could not get what he sought from Man Then they assembled together and agreed to slay him and his companions. Now they received warning of this, and took counsel whether they should leave the city. By heaven, said Pryderi, it is not my counsel that we should quit the town, but that we should slay these boars. Not so, said Manawidin, for if we fight them we shall have evil fame, and shall be put in prison. It were better for us to go to another town to to maintain ourselves. So they four went to another city. What craft shall we take? said Pryderi. We will make shields, said Manawiddin. Do we know anything about that craft? said Pryderi. We will try, answered he. There they began to make shields, and fashioned them after the shape of the good shields they had seen, and they enamelled them, as them had been done for the saddles, and they prospered in that place, so that not a shield was asked for in the whole town, but such as was had of them. Rapid, therefore, was their work, and numberless were the shields they made, but at last they were marked by the craftsmen, who came together in haste, and their fellow townsmen with them, and agreed that they should seek to slay them. But they received warning, and heard how the men had resolved on their destruction. Pryderi, said Manahuddin, these men desire to slay us. Let us not endure this from these balls, but let us rather fall upon them and slay them. Not so, he answered, Caswallon and his men will hear of it, and we shall be undone. Let us go to another town. And so to another town they went. What craft shall we take? said Manahwilin. Whatsoever thou wilt, what that we know, said Pryderi. Not so, he replied, but let us take to making shoes, for there is not courage enough among cordwinners either to fight with us, or to molest us.' "'I know nothing thereof,' said Prideri. "'But I know,' answered Manah "and I will teach thee to stitch. "'We will not attempt to dress the leather, "'but we will buy it ready dressed, "'and we will make the shoes from it.' "'So he began by buying the best cordwell "'that could be had in the town, "'and none other would he buy except the leather for the soles.' and he associated himself with the best goldsmith in town, caused him to make the clasps for the shoes and to gild these clasps, and he marked how it was done until he learnt the method. And therefore was he called one of the three makers of gold shoes, and when they could be had from him, not a shoe nor hose was bought of any other codwinners in town. But when the codwenners perceived that their gains were falling, for as Manawiddin shaped the work, so Pryderi stitched it, they came together and took counsel, and they agreed that they would slay them. Pryderi said Manawiddin, these men are minded to slay us. Wherefore should we bear this from these boorish thieves? said Pryderi. rather let us slay them all. Not so, said Manawiddin, we will not slay them, neither will we remain in Lohir any longer. Let to set forth a divid, and go see to it. So they journeyed along until they came to divid, and they went forward to Narbeth, and there they kindled fire and supported themselves by hunting, and thus they spent a month. They gathered their dogs around them, and tarried there one year. And one morning Pridari and Manawidin rose up to hunt, and they ranged their dogs and went forth from the palace, and some of the dogs ran before them, and came to a small bush which was near at hand but as soon as they were come to the bush they hastily drew back and returned to the men their hair bristling up greatly let us go near to the bush said prideri and see what is in it and as they came near behold a wild boar of pure white color rose up from the bush then the dogs being set on by the men rushed towards him but he left the bush and fell back a little away from the men and made a stand against the dogs without retreating from them, until the men had come near, and when the men came up he fell back a second time, and betook him to flight. Then they pursued the boar until they beheld a vast and lofty castle, all newly built, in a place where they had never before seen either stone nor building, and the boar ran swiftly into the castle, and the dogs after him. Now when the boar and the dogs had got into the castle, they began to wonder at, finding a castle in a place where there had never been seen any building whatsoever. And from the top of the said they looked and listened for the dogs, but so long as they were there they heard not one of the dogs nor out concerning them. Lord, said Pudere, I will go into the castle to get tidings of the dogs. Truly, he replied, thou wouldst be unwise to go into this castle, which thou hast never seen till now. If thou wast follow my counsel, thou wast not enter therein. Whosoever has cast a spell over this land has caused this castle to be here. Of a truth, answered Prideri, I cannot thus give up my dogs. And for all the counsel Manawidding gave him, yet to the castle he went. When he came within the castle, neither man nor beast, nor boar nor dog, nor house nor dwelling, saw he within it but in the centre of the castle floor he beheld a fountain with a marble work around it, and on the margin of the fountain a golden bowl upon a marble slab, and chains hanging from the air, to which he saw no end. And he was greatly pleased with the beauty of the gold, and with the rich workmanship of the bowl, and he went up to the bowl and laid hold of it. And when he had taken hold of it, his hands stuck to the bowl, and his feet to the slab on which the bowl was placed, And all his joyousness forsook him, so that he could not utter a word, and thus he stood. And Manahuinin waited for him till near the close of the day, and late in the evening, being certain that he should have no tidings of Rederi or of the dogs, he went back to the palace, and as he entered, Rhiannon looked at him. Where, said she, are thy companion and thy dogs? Behold, he answered, the adventure that has befallen me. And he related it all unto her. An evil companion hast thou been, said and a good companion thou hast lost. And with that word she went out and proceeded towards the castle according to the direction. And with that word she went out and proceeded toward the castle according to the direction which he gave her. The gate of the castle she found open. She was nothing daunted, and she went in. And as she went in, she perceived Pryderi laying hold of the bowl, and she went towards him. O my lord, said she, what dost thou do here? She took hold of the bowl with him, and as she did so, her hands became fast to the bowl, and her feet to the slab, and she was not able to utter a word. And with that it became night, Lo there came thunder upon them, and a fall of mist, And thereupon the castle vanished, and they with it. When Kisfer, the daughter of Glynkoy, saw that there was no one in the palace but herself and Manwhidin, she sorrowed that she cared not whether she lived or died, and Manwhidin said this. Thou art in the wrong, said he, if through fear of me thou grievest thus. I call heaven to witness that thou hast never seen friendship, nor Pure than that which I bear, will bear thee. As long as heaven will that thou shouldest be thus, I declare to thee that were I in the dawn of youth, I would keep my faith unto Pradiri, and unto thee also I will keep it. But there no fear upon thee, therefore, said he. For heaven is my witness, and thou shalt meet with all the friendship thou canst want, and that is in my power to show thee as long as it shall please heaven to continue us in this grief and woe. Heaven reward thee, she said, and that is what I deemed of thee. And the damsel thereupon took courage and was glad. Truly, lady, said Manwhinin, it is not fitting for us to stay here. We have lost our dogs, and we cannot get food. Let us go into Lykir, it is easiest for us to find support there. Gladly, lord said she, we will do so, and they set forth together to Ryoqir. Lord, said she, what craft wilt thou follow? Take up one that is seemly. None other will I take, answered he, save that of making shoes as they did formerly. Lord, said she, such a craft becomes not a man so nobly born as thou. By that, however, will I abide, said he. So he began his craft, and, we made, and he made all his work of the finest leather he could get in the town. And as he had done at the other place, he caused gilded clasps to be made for the shoes. And except himself, all the cordwainers in the town were idle and without work. For as long as they could be had from him, neither shoes nor hose were bought elsewhere. And thus they tarried there a year, until the cordwainers became envious and took counsel concerning him and he had warning thereof, and it was told him how the quadrainers had agreed to slay him. Lord, said Kisfa, wherefore should this be born from these boars? Nay, said he, we will go back unto Divid. So towards Divid they set forth. Now Manahweddin, when he set out to return to Divid, took with him a burden of wheat And he proceeded not towards Narbeth, and there he dwelt. And never was he better pleased than when he saw Narbeth again, and the lands where he had been wont to hunt with Pryderi and Rhiannon. And he accustomed himself to fish, and to hunt the deer in the covert. And then he began to repair some ground, and as he sowed a croft, and a second, and a third, no wheat in the world ever sprung up better. And the three crofts prospered, the perfect growth, and no man ever saw fairer wheat than it. And thus passed the seasons of the year until the harvest came, and he went to look at one of his crofts, and beheld it was ripe. I will reap this to-morrow, said he. And that night he went back to Narbeth, and on the morrow, in the grey dawn, he went to reap the crop. And when he came there he found nothing but bare straw every one of the years of the wheat was cut from the store, and all the years carried entirely away, and nothing but the straw left, and at this he marvelled greatly. Then he went to look at another croft, and beheld that also was ripe, verily, said he, this will I reap tomorrow, and on the morrow he came, and on the morrow he came with the intent to reap it, and when he came there he found nothing but the bare straw. Oh gracious heaven, He exclaimed, I know that whosoever has begun my ruin is completing it, and has also destroyed the country with me. Then he went to look at the third croft, and when he came there, finer wheat had then never been seen, so this was also ripe. Evil betide me, said he, if I watch not here tonight, whoever carried off the other corn will come in like manner to take this, and I will know who it is. So he took his arms, and began to watch the croft, and he told Kisfer all that had befallen "'Verily,' said she, "'what thinkest thou to do?' "'I will watch the croft to-night,' said he." And he went to watch the croft, and at midnight, lo, there arose the loudest tumult in the world, and he looked, and beheld the mightiest host of mice in the world, which could neither be numbered nor measured, And he knew not what it was until the mice had made their way unto the croft, and each of them climbing up the straw and bending it down with its weight, had it cut off one of the ears of the wheat, and had it carried away, leaving there the stalk. And he had not a single stalk there that had not a mouse on it. And they all took their way, carrying the ears with them. In wrath and anger did he rush upon the mice, but he could no more come up with them than it had they had been gnats, or birds in the air, except only one, which though it was but sluggish, went so fast that a man on foot could scarce overtake it. And after this one went, and he caught it, and put it in his glove, and tied up the opening of the glove with the string, and kept it with him, and returned to the palace. Then he came to the hall where Kisfer was, and he lighted a fire, and hung the glove by the string upon a peg. What hast thou there, lord? said Kisfer. A thief, said he, that I found robbing me. What kind of thief may it be, Lord, that thou couldst put it in thy glove, said she. Behold, I will tell thee, he answered, and he showed her how his fields had been wasted and destroyed, and how the mice came to the last of the fields in his sight. And one of them was less nimble than the rest, and is now in my glove. Tomorrow I will hang it, before heaven, if I had them, I would hang them all. My lord, said she, this is marvellous, but yet it would be unseemly for a man of dignity like thee to be hanging such a reptile as this. And if thou dost right, thou wilt not meddle with the creature, but will let it go. Won't betide me, said he, if I would not hang them all, could I catch them, and such as I have, I will hang verily lord said she there is no reason that i should secure this reptile except to prevent discredit unto thee do therefore lord as thou wilt will if i knew of any cause in the world wherefore thou shouldst secure it i would take thy counsel concerning it said madhoudin but as i know of none, lady i am minded to destroy it do so willingly then she said And then he went to Gorsed of Narbeth, taking the mouse with him, and he set up two forks on the highest part of the Gorsed, and while he was doing this, behold, he saw a scholar coming towards him, in old and poor and tattered garments, and it was now seven years since he had seen in that place either man or beast, except those four persons who had remained together until the two of them were lost. My lord, said the scholar, good day to thee. Heaven prosper thee, and my greeting be unto thee. And whence dost thou come, scholar? asked he. I come, Lord, from the singing of Luke here, and wherefore dost thou inquire? Because for the last seven years, answered he, they have seen no man here save four secluded persons, and thyself this moment. Truly, Lord, said he, I go through this land unto my own. And what work art thou upon, Lord? I am hanging a thief that I caught robbing me, said he. What manner of thief is that? asked the scholar. I see a creature in thy hand, like unto a mouse, and ill does it become a man of rank equal to thine to touch a reptile such as this. Let it go forth free. I will not let it go free by heaven, said he. I caught it robbing me, and the doom of a thief will I inflict upon it, and I will hang it lord said he rather than see a man of rank equal to thine at such work as this i would give thee a pound which i have received as alms to let the reptile go for free i will not let it go free said he by heaven neither will i sell it as yes, that will lord he answered except that i would not see a man of rank equal to thine touching such a reptile i cared not, and the scholar went his way and as he was placing the crossbeam upon the two forks, beheld a priest came towards him upon a horse covered with trappings. "Good day to thee, Lord," said he. "Heaven prosper thee," said Manwaddiin, thy blessing. The blessing of heaven be upon thee. What Lord art thou doing? I am hanging a thief that they caught robbing me," said he. "What manner of thief?" asked he. "A creature," he answered, in the form of a mouse. It has been robbing me, and I am inflicting upon it the doom of a thief. Lord, said he, rather than see thee touch this reptile, I would purchase its freedom. By my confession to heaven, neither will I sell it, nor set it free. It is true, Lord, that it is worth nothing to buy, but rather than see thee defile thyself by touching such a reptile as this, I will give thee three pounds to let it go. I will not by heaven, said he, take any price for it. As if out, so shall it be hanged. Willingly, Lord, do thy good pleasure. And the priest went his way. Then he noosed the string around the mouse's neck, and as he was about to draw it up, behold, he saw a bishop's retinue, with his sumpter horses and his attendants, and the bishop himself came towards him and he stayed his walk, Lord Bishop, said he, thy blessing, Heaven's blessing be unto thee, said he, What work art thou upon? Hanging a thief, I caught robbing me, said he, Is that not a mouth that I see in thy hand? Yes, said, answered he, and she has robbed me, Aye, said he, since I have come at the doom of this reptile, I will ransom it off thee. I will give thee £7 for it, and that rather than see a man of rank equal to thine, destroying so vile a reptile as this, let it loose, and thou shalt have the money. I declare to heaven that I will not set it loose. If thou not loose it for this, I will give thee 4 and £20 of ready money to set it free. I will not set it free by heaven for as much again, said he. If thou wilt not set it free for this, I will give thee the horses that thou seest in this plain, and the seven loads of baggage, and the seven horses that they are upon. By heaven I will not, he replied, since for this thou wilt not do so at what price soever thou wilt. I will do so, said he. I will that Rhiannon and Pryderi be free, said he. That thou shalt have, he answered. Not yet will I loose the mouse by heaven. What then wouldest thou? Let the charm and the illusion be removed from the seven cantarists of Divid. This thou shalt have also. Set therefore the mouse free. I will not set it free by heaven. I will know who the mouse may be. She is my wife. Even though she be, I will not set her free. Wherefore came she to me? To despoil thee, he answered. I am Hluid, the son of Kilcoid, and I cast the charm over the seven cantriths of Divid. And it was to avenge Goral, the son of Klud, from the friendship I had towards him, that I cast the charm. And upon Pugere did I revenge Goral, the son of Klud, for the game of badger in the bag that Pyril Penandwin played upon him, which he did unadvisedly in the court of Hevid Hem. And when it was known that thou wast come to dwell in this land, my household came and besought me to transform them into mice, that they might destroy thy corn. And it was my own household that went that first night, and the second night they also went, and they destroyed thy two crofts. And the third night came unto me, my wife and the ladies of the court, and besought me to transform them, and I transformed them. Now she is pregnant, and had she not been pregnant thou wouldst not have been able to overtake her. But since this has taken place, and she has been caught, I will restore thee, and Rhiannon, and I will take the charm and illusion from Divid. I have now told thee who she is. Set her therefore free. I will not set her free by heaven, said he. What wilt thou more, he asked. I wilt that there be no more charm upon the seven countenance of Divid, and that none shall put upon it henceforth. This thou shalt have, said he. Now set her free. I will not by my faith, he answered. What wilt thou furthermore, asked he. Behold, said he, this will I have, that vengeance be never taken for this, either upon Pryderi or Hrianon or upon me, for all this thou shalt have, and truly thou hast done wisely in asking this, upon thy head would have lighted all this trouble. "Yea," said he, for fear thereof was it that I required this. Set now my wife at liberty, I will not by heaven, said he, until I see Priderian and with me. Behold, here they come, he answered. And thereupon beheld Prideri and Rhiannon, and he rose up to meet them, and greeted them, and sat down beside them. Ah, chieftain, set now my wife at liberty, said the bishop, hast thou not received all thou didst ask? I will release her gladly, said he, and thereupon he set her free. Then Lyrid struck her with a magic wand, and she was changed back into a young woman, the fairest ever seen. Look around upon thy land, said he, and thou wilt see it all tilled and peopled, as it was in its best state. And he rose and looked forth, and when he looked he saw all the lands tilled, and full of herds and dwellings. What bondage, he inquired, has there been upon Pryderi and Rhiannon? Pryderi has had the knockers of the gate of my palace about his neck, and Rhiannon has had the collars of the asses after they had been carrying hay about her neck. And such had been their bondage. And by reason of this bondage, it is the story called the Mabinogi Mengrir and Minord, And thus ends this portion of the Mabinogi. So there you have it, one of the, the weirder tales of the Mabinogi. Some interesting things happen in that, I suppose. You've got uh, man in and on meeting up with Pridari and his woman, and then everyone disappears. And then they go off to England, Hereford, uh, do some things. Don't learn from past mistakes by stealing everybody's businesses and then get thrown out of towns. Come back to Divid, and. Uh, Rhiannon and, and Prideri go and try and steal gold by the sounds of it. and then some mice turn up. But yeah, so that is that was uh, the third, third um, part of the Mavinogi. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I know it's a bit of an odd one that, but some of the other ones do get better, trust me. So I hope you enjoyed that. We're gonna end this episode and this year here. I do hope I have managed to entertain you for the last 12 months and the last 30-odd episodes, and uh, here's to 30 more next year. So all that is left for me to say is, all the drink has run dry my friends. Goodbye, and Happy New Year.